Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, it's 1.30 in the morning, Melbourne time, which makes it 2.30 in the afternoon, Solly hole time. It has been quite a day at the Australian Open, quite a day of tennis. We've got so much to tell you about, but hasn't even finished yet. Aslan Karatev <laughs> and Adrian Manorino are currently two sets to one uh, in favour of the Frenchman. Those three sets have taken three hours and 35 minutes, and you just know it's going to five. And this isn't even particularly abnormal for tennis, the fact that it's happening at 1.30 in the morning. It's not even a talking point yet. I think that I think it has to get past 2am for the whole why does tennis happen in the middle of the night discussion to, to even get out of the blocks. So uh, keep going, Adrian and, uh, and Aslan. Uh, he's in a bit of trouble, is Aslan Karatsev, two sets to one down, and he looks absolutely spent. This has been gruelling stuff, as has Matt Roberts' day today. As I said, it's one thirty in the morning. You've been up for how many hours, Matt? Oh, you've put me on the spot with maths, and I don't have the brain power to do it. I've been up since uh, about 8am because I decided to play tennis this morning. In he's the, got the in tennis the bug, folks. That's mm. a good 17 hours there, Matt. There we go. And to uh, borrow and adapt a Nadalism, I, I no longer have any energy left in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sort of enthusiastic face from 24 hours ago saying, oh, I'm going to be playing tennis in seven hours, <laughs> has changed somewhat. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the circus of life, David. Um, oh. How did you get on at tennis? Uh, split sets with my good friend Matt, who works for the ATP. We always seem to split sets. And then we both retired due to heat. <laughs> he drew a tennis match, folks. A double count out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, while you were there, sorry, folks, we, we will get on to talking about the actual top level tennis uh, that happened in Melbourne today. But but first, uh, the amateur stuff. Uh, you, you witnessed Simon Briggs playing tennis, Matt. 
Tell us about that. Reviews, please. I did. I witnessed it and shared it with the world. I checked with him that he was okay to be filmed and put on our Instagram. And of course he said yes. (laughs) He loves it. And I'll tell you what, pretty impressive is Simon Briggs. People are commenting on the footwork. The footwork mm, is that's is, what struck me. I have to say, he's got those light. little he's got those little Federer ballet steps mm. going on, David. Oh, um, I, I, maybe I'll avoid him. <laughs> yeah, he's got good footwork. He he stands quite far behind the baseline. Although he was playing someone really good, so I think he was he was pushed back. Uh, Single handed backhand, nice slice, and a grunt. Mm. It, 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 quite Shapovalovy, the single hander, sort of weight. Weight falling backwards a little bit, but very flourishing and stylish. Mm. That, that that's, was fun. That's pretty generous, I would say, Catherine, from what <laughs> I saw on the video. But, you know, um, okay. Hey, the, the folks of Instagram are, they're lapping it up, David. Yes, and Simon sent me an email to say, thanks for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> As on, if, Simon. like, he's going to get sponsorship deals off the back of it. As if, like... Nike have been on the phone. Thanks. <laughs> Could happen. <laughs> um, right then. Well, that was that was the first match of the day, uh, and ended in a draw. <laughs> um, well, there were a lot of other matches of the day that very mm. well could have ended in the draw, were it not for what was the name of the the, the chap that invented the tie break? Oh, that's a good question. He's, he's off to quote it. Von, yeah, von. it's a three. It's a three-word name. Anyway, while Matt looks that up, I'll 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 give you a brief summary of the day, which has been epic, absolutely no, epic. I'm not Von Van, Jimmy Van Allen. That's the guy, Jimmy Van Allen. It's a great name. He could be a chat show host, couldn't he? Because <laughs> um, he's called Jimmy, and they all are. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy Van Allen. It sounds, yeah, you know, they literally are well, all yeah. called Jimmy. Yeah. Well, Fallon, some of them. Yes. Kimmel. Yeah. yeah, two of them. Mm. Van Allen. <laughs> it's been a long day, folks, and a very good day. I'm reluctant to go with the word epic too soon, um, but today has felt pretty epic. I have today. I have to say, three times today, I have felt like I've seen what is certainly going to end up being the match of the day. And and twice it has been superseded. And hey, Adrian Manorino and Aslan Karatsev are making a bid to to supersede that again. It's one of those days where I just don't know where to start. The first the first match of the day that I thought would be the match of the day was Paola Badosa against Marta Kostiuk, which was played in the most intense, grueling heat of the day today. It was the it was the second match on the second court, uh, and it was won by Barossa six two five seven six four. There was, it was one of those where you just knew the the handshake or the hug, as it turned out to be, was going to be something pretty intense because you know it was like two people that had had been to war on opposite sides, and and a truce had been called because um, they couldn't couldn't take any more. Um, there were, there were question marks throughout, I think, over Bedossa's serving. She's wearing that strapping on her on her right shoulder. But, I mean, her ground strokes are so good. I feel, I feel like, you know, even if her serve is a little bit underpowered, maybe she could still win the tournament. I know I have a horse in the race here. Um, 
a Badossa-shaped horse, but even though she was taken to the brink today by Marta Kostiuk, I'm still very convinced by her, Matt. Absolutely. I think you should probably be more convinced, to be honest, because she was really tested today. Marta Kostiuk showed what she can do. She has such an exciting game, you know, explosive ground strokes, really dynamic movement, and she put it all out on the court and really tested Balossa today. Um, she's she's quite raw, Kostiuk. You know, I th- I mean, she's still young, but she's been around a while, and her game still feels quite young to me. It doesn't feel like she's really packaged it yet and realised what she can do with it, perhaps. Whereas Balossa, over the last year, that's exactly what she's done. She has turned her game into a into a sort of winning machine really and it's so well honed she knows exactly what she's doing and yeah in the, that was kind of the difference i think just in those moments when it mattered you you had more trust you had more mm. faith in Melossa because there's just that security to her and yes she was struggling on serve but so mentally strong she didn't didn't let that bother her and yeah i think she comes through this you know, a bit scathed because it was so grueling, as you said, in in the heat of the day, but also I think probably fortified at the same time. If she had had the opportunity to just sort of call it a draw after the second set, as as you did, Matt, she might have <laughs> taken it. Sorry, I'm no. a bit hot. Uh, <laughs> could we could we just call it a draw? That's the difference between Paula Velosa <laughs> and me. Um, she'll play Madison Keys next, who really had to battle. Uh, she took it to a a super tiebreak third set. Did uh, did Chung Wong very impressive from Madison Keys? So we'll have Badossa against Keys. In that the fourth tie break round. was amazing. I mean, that was the only part of the match I saw, and it was one of those tie breaks that made you think, how on earth did this even get to a tie break? Because Keys went eight love up, seven love up in it. I, I can't quite remember eight, eight love. Eight love, I think. She ended up with eight match points in a row. She was awesome in the tie break. Just, I don't think Zhang Wong did much wrong. Keys just hit winners galore. And clearly the match was much closer than the tie break. Otherwise it wouldn't have got there. But really, really impressive from Keys actually, to back up that title the other week by making the second week of, of this major. Something she used to do a lot. You know, we used to, you know, people used to call her major Keys, didn't they? She used to turn up at slams, but... She hasn't really been doing that. So for her to keep up this this good run of form is is impressive. And I don't think I don't think you want to see Madison Keys in your draw if she's playing well, because she does have weapons and she can if you know, if she's on, she can really, really hurt you. Mm, Shotmaker's Paradise Keys against mm. Badossa. Pressure's off her as well a bit, isn't it, with Madison Keys? Mm. You know, she's twenty six now. Badossa's the twenty four year old, the one that we're all talking up as the future and Madison Keys used to be that, and I just wonder whether that's aside from clear improvements she's made. I wonder whether that's just liberating her a little bit and making her able to play freely. I, I agree. Whatever it is, she does seem a bit liberated. Liberated the way she's talking. I think it was after she won that Adelaide title. She, or, or, or in the course of her progression through through the draw in Adelaide, she said some very sort of Naomi Osaka esque reflective stuff about. You know, not trying to compare herself to the past and trying to have a, a better perspective on on her career and not judging herself entirely by her tennis results. You know, there were some very very grown up quotes coming out of Madison Keys last week, and it, it it's obviously 
channeling through to her tennis. So Bedosa against Keys round four. So at this stage in the day, you know, Matt's played his his lovely game of tennis. We've watched Bedosa against Kostyuk. We're thinking it's already a good day. We've we've got that in the bag. Doesn't matter what comes next. We we've had a good un. Um, but but tough tough for Berrettini and Alcaraz to come out and try to follow that. It was on a different course, of course. But after that match, it felt like you know the the day had peaked. So out comes Matteo Berrettini and Carlos Alcaraz. And as we pointed out in the podcast yesterday, Carlos Alcaraz was was on paper the favourite for this, which I contest. But anyway, he was the favourite. And Matteo Berrettini comes out, and it's almost as if he'd heard about that. Uh, Alcaraz being the favourite and it's like he came out and uh, as Andrew put it on our Twitter feed there was a strong get off my lawn energy in the first (laughs) set and uh, I didn't Matt and I didn't see much of it because we were making our way in at this point having having just watched Bedosa Kostiuk Um, but we we had a a a quick chat with Chris Clary of the New York Times um, who of course great friend of the pod and he's sitting two desks down from us in the media center and he's recently done a, a brilliant profile piece with 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 Carlos Alcaraz traveled to Spain to speak to him and his team and I I highly recommend you uh, you have a read of that and he said he thought Alcaraz was overplaying in in the opening stages of the match just trying too hard you know trying to put all that golf that he's been playing <laughs> into action um and then it turned around David, mm, it, was, it was just so fascinating. I, I think that that's Andrew put it perfectly. Berrettini came out, his chest out. He had to fend off a few break points, but by the time I joined it, I woke up sort of nearly five a.m. here, and and it was already. He, a, he woke up at a just about authorized time. Yes, folks. I, I, also, I let it slide. I also kept my head down for about twenty minutes. Um, mm. But um, we do know that you're doing that, David. <laughs> yeah, we factor that in. Yeah, it, it's priced in, as yeah. they say. Anyway, um, but it was a set and a break up by the time I joined it, and then Alcaraz got back on level terms and lost that second set on a tie break. And I thought this is this is an interesting test right here because he has he's come out and he's taken huge cuts at the ball and he's trying to take on Berrettini forehand to forehand, which is. A bit like when we were talking about Benchard taking on the Anisimova backhand. It's, what are you doing? I mean, come on, there's a clear, weaker <laughs> side to this guy. But, I mean, Hannah on our Twitter, who takes over for the night session, came up with a great analogy of, of it's like lion and cub. And they are, the the cub is desperate to prove himself or herself. You know, they're desperate to show that they're that they're grown up now and that they're ready and all this sort of thing and he was he was he was overdoing it and and then he just sort of withdrew his his limits a little bit he just pulled his margins in and started to play within himself more um and he went toe to toe with Berrettini in a different way he he started to target the backhand and he was relentless in it and whilst he was doing that he started to really get used to the pace of the ball coming at him and he started to be able to then execute the pace that he was trying to execute in the early stages. He'd just got he'd pressed the 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 trigger too early. He was too desperate to to dominate. And and I was thinking, you know, there's a guy who hasn't had any tournaments coming up to this at all. He's been in the off season. His first two round matches 
relatively speaking, were, were quite straightforward and they were nothing like what Berrettini was throwing at him. Berrettini's seasoned. He's done this week to week for 18 months at this level. And Alcaraz, he hasn't had anything since the end of last season. And then suddenly you could see him just get used to it. And then the 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 US Open Alcaraz suddenly came out for that sec that third and fourth set and Berrettini couldn't live with it. He just couldn't cope with with the pace of the shot and the speed of the guy and, and the targeting of the backhand. I mean, I think actually for the first two sets, the Berrettini backhand caused Alcaraz problems. The the low slice, he he was struggling to pick it up off the ground and and really clip it the way he wanted to. He was miss hitting a lot. And then the fifth set, I mean, I I thought Alcaraz was going to win it. I mean, it went all the way. He was the one knocking on the door. He was the one. Up, up until what point, David? Did you think? And, well, was honestly, win it? until until Berrettini went up, I think it was about eight four in the the match tiebreak. Up until so, so then, headed into that match tiebreak, you thought Alcaraz. Yeah, he well, he was the stronger player. He was the one knocking on the door. He was the one who really felt like was having the chances, and he felt like the superior player in that set. But credit to Berrettini, he just keeps going doesn't he He keeps smashing the hammer down uh, even when it's not necessarily working that well keeps the serve going kept himself in the match I mean he was he also took a nasty tumble in I think in the fifth set or the end of the fourth set and he he had to have a medical timeout he twisted his ankle a bit but it wasn't one of those ones that make you make your stomach turn because of the way you see it in the slow motion. It was more of a sort of jarring motion of the toe digging into the ground and then the body going over a bit. But I I saw it and I thought, I think you'll be all right, but it was a heavy fall. Um, and actually, if anything, I think that that maybe took a bit out of the sails of Alcaraz because he was totally in the upper hand at that point in terms of the, the feel of the match and the rallies. But ultimately... It was a bit like how you described Kostyuk. Alcaraz looked quite raw out there. He looked incredible in terms of potential, but he's just not ready yet. It, another match that sprung to mind was Leighton Hewitt against Nadal in the 2005 Australian Open when when Hewitt was at his peak pretty much still and Nadal was yet to even win a French Open and yet he was putting almighty pressure on him and, and Hewitt was rattled. And it was... You know, I think Berrettini said at the, on the on-court interview, when I was his age, I didn't even have an ATP point. And, and I think that that says a lot, really. Berrettini couldn't have been more effusive in his praise of him. It was a, it was a lovely match, and I, I, I give both of them huge credit. That's a very handy analogy you've used there, David, because 2005, Rafael Nadal then went on to win the French Open. Mm, yeah. Which well. is... Uh, Exactly what you've predicted of Alcaraz. I mean, this look, when I look at the fact that Nadal is still playing the way he's playing, we'll come on to him later, and the fact that he's going to go to Paris and hopefully be fit, I mean, that's obviously key. And there are some really, really good players around. I would say there are a lot more good clay court players around now than there was when Nadal won that 05 French Open, really. But I still don't feel that I've seen anything that makes me doubt that Alcaraz is going to have a massive clay court season, that he's going to win big titles. And I, and I know, I I mean, I still think it's a, it's probably a silly prediction for him to win the French Open, but I'm still going with it. I I, I keep getting stopped, David, by by people saying, oh, David's gone big on Alcaraz. That's, that's, <laughs> 
that's one of the things that people are saying when they when they stop us. All oh, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's getting noticed, um, but but nobody thinks it's silly. They think it's big, but definitely not silly. Um, and it's sort of you know, him not winning today has absolutely no bearing on anyone's predictions about how great a future uh, Carlos Alcaraz has. I mean, absolutely nothing is a given. Absolutely. But there is, you know, he has everything. Oh, he clearly. Is, he is so clearly special. You know, he, he has, and it was, a, it was a point Chris Clary made in, in his profile, he has a presence on court. Mm. I, I, mm. I realised today this was the first time I watched him live since the first time I saw him when he was very, very young five years ago. Do you see what he's done there, David? He's reminded us that he was the earliest of early Alcaraz adopters. You know what? Correct. I'm going to own that. I do always try to remind myself just that when I'm going big on Alcaraz that uh, Matt was there before me. I'm quite happy to... uh, to... Matt was there before... Matt was there, like, before his mum and dad. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think in the years since, he's he's obviously played a lot of golf, but he's also developed... A presence and a walk and a swag and a confidence. Yes, he has a walk and and a real, you know, enthusiasm to whip up the crowd. He was oh, doing. He in, loves it in the it, fifth set as well. That, he loves that, the stage. That was definitely something that struck me. And again, the sort of lion and cub analogy. When he would do something amazing. The way he would look over at Juan Carlos Ferrero, who used to be him, we make these comparisons to Nadal, but in many ways he's more similar to Ferrero. He's much stronger physically, I think. But in terms of he, Ferrero was a right-hander with an absolute whiplash forehand, and he was world number one and a French Open champion. And he clearly reveres Ferrero. He he looks at him as with such affection and and respect, and he looks over at him as if to say did you see what I just did then? And he'll he'll sort of put his finger in the air and it's there's such kind of I was built for this vibe about him. I am made for this. This is is what brings me alive and and it's wonderful to witness. It's wonderful to witness somebody that feels like he's going to be really, really special and important to the sport. I, I hope that that's... I hope I'm not putting too much pressure on him. I don't, I don't think I matter. I don't, uh, but I, I, I do feel as though I've done that before with people, and it's, it seems a little unfair occasionally. But I can't believe that this guy isn't going to be all that we think he'll be. Absolutely, um, he's he's the real deal, and very impressive from Berrettini, exactly as you've said, to to battle through that and and keep up the pace on his shots throughout those five sets I mean that takes some strength I know he's you know this barrel chested guy but he's got piddly calves underneath (laughs) underneath that barrel chest I'm looking at Aslan Karatsev right now and goodness me Berrettini's calves look piddly by comparison but yeah he just you know he relentless with that power just trusts his game now in a way that I don't think he did two years ago. Um, you know, the serve was there for him. It didn't let him down when he needed it. Um, didn't hit a single error, I don't think, in the tiebreak at the end of the match. You know, when he when he needed to, he had control of his game. You know, and, and that, he wasn't just not going for anything in the tiebreak. He, he he was going after the forehand, especially. 
really impressive from him, especially considering he had blown match point just beforehand. Mm. He'd, he'd had a he'd had a second serve return, which he'd which he'd signalled his intent on and ran round it, and then hit a really quite limp forehand return into the net. Um, but after that, he, he didn't let that phase him. It was it, it was impressive. Mm. He now faces Pablo Carreño Buster uh, for a place in the quarterfinal. Carreño Buster, good win for him over uh, Sebastian Corder in four sets today. Very different matchup that Carreño Buster, isn't it? From from one Spaniard to to a very very different Spaniard. Um, so Matt and I are buzzing after after watching the the final and most exciting stages of Berrettini Alcaraz. We've We've seen a super tiebreak. I mean, that's just always a total win, isn't it? It feels like finding treasure. And Matt says, "Oh, we can we can meander across to uh, to Osaka and Anisimova that's just getting underway." And the Rod Laver Arena and the second court they are they are connected. They are they're like conjoined twins. So you don't. It feels like I mean, you don't even have to go outside. We literally meandered over and in in a way that never ever happens it was exactly a change of ends when when we got to the uh, the door for the the media seats on the second court so we literally just strolled over and wandered in and stumbled upon the third match of the day <laughs> <laughs> um and possibly the best of the three i wouldn't have believed it this is another sort of Nadalism, but if you told me after Berrettini Alcaraz that I might be saying another match was was the match of the day after that, I I wouldn't have believed you. But I think that Amanda Anisimova out hitting Naomi Osaka four six six three seven six, saving two match points along along the way. I think that was the match of the day and could end up being the match of the tournament. I hope it's not because if there's something better than that coming our way, then we're in for a treat. But wow, it was special. It was special. Yeah, it really was. They are two players who I really think of as big stage players. And we've got a lot of evidence with Osaka to back that up. You know, she's she's won a lot of big matches in her career. And with Anisimova, there's been some evidence, but really it's it's a feeling I think I have about her game. And I was just I just found it fascinating to see them come head to head against each other for the first time. And I think we were probably a bit surprised by the outcome. I was a bit surprised, and I think Osaka said as much in in her press conference that she was surprised by the pace on the Anisimova ball and actually so often Osaka is the one dictating the rallies the one controlling the rallies the one setting the tempo of the rallies but actually she was being pushed back she was the one who didn't have the time that she wanted on the ball because of these pure ground strokes of Amanda Anisimova I mean we've seen it before but this was just a perfect illustration of what she can do. The way she took time away from Osaka, the way she used Osaka's pace and just sort of swiped it back at her quite sort of effortlessly. It is one of the most awesome strikes of a tennis ball that has surely ever been when she gets it right. And she got it right an awful lot tonight. And 
yeah, it was it, it, it was a pleasure to watch. I felt quite tense throughout the whole match because I really, you know, I wanted it for both of them. You know, I, I, I wanted it for Osaka because, you know, she's been, you know, she's a generational talent and she's had a hard year and I wanted to see her come up against Ash Barty as well. Um, but I also wanted it for Amanda Anisimova because she's had... She's had a hellish couple of years, to be honest, and it was it was it's great to see her back in in these sorts of matches. So when it went to the super tiebreak, I was really torn about how it might go and my feelings about how it might go. And in the end, I just sort of told myself, "Look, just just appreciate this match for what it is, because it is it was so good." As you've as you've said, one of the one of the matches of the tournament for sure. It, it really felt special. I've never seen anyone hit a tennis ball like Amanda Anisimova. It it is doesn't mean it's the best ball strike there's ever been, but I have I've never seen anyone strike a ball like that. And I I don't have the the technical knowledge to explain what it is, but it it it's sort of ethereal. That's how it feels watching it. Um, it's it's there's something about the flight of the ball, the sound that it makes. It's sort of it's not quite power. It's well, I think Osaka used the distinction of it not being heavy, didn't she? I think I think Osaka's shots are heavy mm. and they make a particular sound off the racket, whereas Anisimova's are just smooth. Is the, is the said, word that comes to mind? She for me. said it's it's not strong, but it comes fast, like. I wouldn't say it's heavy, but it comes so quickly at me and that I felt I didn't really have time to set up. It's just really low to the ground, is what she said. And she she described the match as table tennis tennis. And she said she'd found it really jarring to be on the back foot in most of the rallies, particularly given it's not pure power, it's not brute strength. It's, as I say, it's something otherworldly. It's timing. She just uh, right, is able okay. to. Uh, that's how I look at it because I think back to when I saw her for the first time and took real notice, which was her beating Petra Kvitova and just blunting the game of Petra Kvitova by turning her power back on herself and then doing the same against Irina Sabalenka. These players that we think of as the, big, as the biggest ball bashers around, and yet she would seemingly, without trying to inject pace into the ball, send it back with interest. And that's just pure timing. That is using your opponents against them. And uh, there are not too many that can do that. But there's also something about the flight of it and and the way it it skims so gracefully through the court somehow. I don't know. It's an absolute joy to watch. It's like a bow and arrow, really. Yes, yeah, that's a very good description. They They were so generous about one another afterwards and um yeah matt went to anisimova's press conference i went to naomi osaka's so we sort of we tag teamed it and um anisimova was really feeling the joy of it which was she was just happy wasn't she she was she was just sort of infectiously happy and it was lovely and she but yet she still said it sucks that we both couldn't win today you know she she really enjoyed having put on that good a show, I think, somehow. Yeah, totally. Um, and 
I think she enjoyed coming up against Osaka. You know, Osaka had been in press conference, as you said, full of praise for Anisimova and Anisimova kind of, as she did on the match court, turned it back on Osaka and said, um, you know, there's lots, there's lots I can learn from Osaka as well. And, and she relished that opportunity. And yeah, she just hasn't had many chances to put this incredible game up against the very best in the world. You know, we've seen it a few times, but not not as much as it should have happened, considering how good she is. So just, yeah, she was feeling the joy of, of, of being able to do that. There were some fascinating quotes from Naomi Osaka in her press conference. It was... It was a completely different Osaka to the one that we saw after after her Grand Slam defeat in, in New York and that we saw briefly at the French Open. Obviously, the latter half of last year, it was, you know, it was a really sad Naomi Osaka and it was sad for us to see her that way. And she's been talking a lot about perspective and putting losses and rankings and all things tennis into perspective and... She had some fascinating things to say tonight. She said something so Serena like it was it was startling really. She said I'm at the point now where I think everyone that plays me is prepared for it and Wim shows me videos before the matches but they always play better when they play against me and I take that into account. And then she sort of trailed off and she said, I think they just have to. You know what I mean? And it was, yeah, there was this moment where sort of everyone in the press room just looked at one another like, oh, she, it's, you know, it's, it's Serena-like. And it's, it's I, I'm, I'm pleased she, she's reaching a level of comfort, I think, in who she is and how good she is. And for her to be talking that confidently about herself in the aftermath of defeat, I think is really positive because she's been so crushed by defeat recently, looked so broken by it. And she was upset tonight. She really desperately wanted to win, but she wasn't, she wasn't crushed or broken. Yeah, no, exactly. Just as you said earlier, she has linked her results and her losses in particular more generally with her sense of self-worth and that was not the case here there was there was there was a much she was viewing it through a much wider lens you know she was talking about appreciating being on that stadium again she was proud of her attitude on the court she she referenced how great it felt to be part of something that was good for tennis you know that was okay she lost but and there's some over one and tennis sort of gained something out of that. And she just, she had this perspective on it rather than everything and all her feelings being wrapped up in, in just the result, which was what, which was what she was feeling last year. So, you know, to have seen the step she's made in the last few months was, was really uplifting. And yeah, she, I think on top of all that, she just found the joy of competing again. Mm. You know, she, she, she loved Okay, she wanted to win. Of course she did. She is a fantastic competitor, but there was also just joy to be found in in the battle out there. Just one final brilliant quote from Naomi Osaka today. She said she was asked about, you know, her ranking slipping slipping a little bit and obviously she'll A lot. 
Uh, how much? Oh, it's it's going to be. She's going to be. I think outside the top eighty. What? Yeah. Gee. I mean, she didn't play much last year, did she? And the Australian Open oh my was so many goodness, of her points. I had no idea. Oh, that it's was... a massive drop. Wow. Okay. Well, these quotes are even more great <laughs> than I'm about to read you. She said she was asked about that ranking drop, and she said. I'm not worried about my ranking. I think that it will go up to where it needs to go up to if I keep playing like this throughout the year. And honestly, if I'm not ranked at slams, I think the other people that I'm playing against would be more worried about than I am. Worried about it than I am. You know what I mean? And I really do. (laughs) It's a great I really do know what she needs. Isn't it? It's brilliant. I mean, the whole whole, um, paragraphs that you've read out are just so surprising to me and and fascinating and i'm really pleased to hear it as well i know i'm never that convinced i agree with the the idea that players are playing better against them i i think that that might be in her head a bit but i also i don't mind words i can't prove that um and i i certainly just like the fact that she left the court yeah frustrated disappointed upset but i think ready for more and uh, ultimately, that's we we want as much of Naomi Osaka in the sport as we can get. And she did indicate she she intends to to play a bit more than she had been doing be- before her break from tennis. She said it's tough for her body to just rock up at big events and and have to sort of turn it on out of nowhere. So I think we might see her playing a bit a bit more frequently, which is which is brilliant. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
Amanda Anisimova, three to round four, where she'll play the top seed, Ash Barty, who dismissed Camilla Georgie, 6-2, 6-3. I'm afraid we didn't see any of this because we were on the second court watching Anisimova against uh, Osaka. But I can tell you that Ash Barty's consecutive service hold count is now up to 58. So it's epic returns and... Anisimova's returns really were epic. As Osaka said in her press conference that she, one one of the things that she's taking from tonight is that she wants to get on the practice court and practice Anisimova-like returns. You know, she said that's what women, one of the things that women I will, you know, will go and try and emulate. So epic returns against the unbreakable serve. It's... I think the serve will go. Yes, I th- please. I, I definitely don't think Barty's serve comes out unscathed in that match, whether she wins or not. Big predictions from Law. Like it. Like it very much. Uh, Victoria Azarenka in uh, in former champion news, in another former champion news, uh, beat Alina Svitolina today 6-love, six 6-2. Six it was... Just bruising for Svitolina. You know, every now and then you just see Svitolina look like she's out of her weight class. Well, that's what happened today. It was uh, it was really tough for her. Azarenka just hitting it right out of the sweet spot, looking looking the business really. Um, she did a great uncle uncle interview where she talked about uh, Dylan Alcott being a, a great inspiration to her, and of course that was. Picked up on by the Aussie media in her in her press conference, um, she referenced what we think is one of Matt's stats in her on-court interview. <laughs> yes, this was my uh, Homer dot gif into the hedge moment of the day, where she she called us out. <laughs> <laughs> she did a bit, yeah. She didn't reference us by name though, which is. Which is kind of a no. Yeah, she said uh, she saw something on Twitter that she hadn't won a match at the Australian Open in in six years or something. I think it was accurate. Yeah, accurate. Which info. is just that is the true, as Nadal would say. Um, but of course, part of the reason for that is she didn't play the Australian Open for a long time. But you know, doesn't make the stat any less it, it's true. It's still the true, Fika. <laughs> it's still the true. And, um, Anyway, if that's the motivation Azarenka needs, and it and it helped a, a tiny bit to produce that performance today, which was awesome. She was all over Svitolina, taking taking you know returns up on the service line, and just generally showing intensity and sort of intimidating the Svitolina game. It, yeah, it was an awesome performance. You know, if that if that helps a little bit, then uh, you're think welcome. Great. Yes. <laughs> uh, Barbora Kuchikova next for Azarenka. That's a big old yes, please, isn't it? She beat Ostapenko uh, from a set and a break down. There was a tiny bit of aggro. Uh, Kuchikova received a time violation for taking too long a loo break. I, I uh, heard... Um, she she blamed heard... it on a broken necklace. Oh, blimey. I, I heard Kuchikova <laughs> was really glowing about Azarenka and calling her an inspiration she to was. her. Which is mm. lovely, and it was very genuine, very, mm. very genuine. Mm. And and she did well, Krachikova, because that was a good Ostapenko performance. You know, she was hitting a lot of 
winners compared to unforced errors. And when she plays like that, she's a real handful. You know, I think often you beat Ostapenko because she beats herself a little bit. But this was a good Ostapenko. And Krejcikova had to stay calm, had to fend off quite a lot of break points in the deciding set. I found it stylistically, you know, it was very different. It was going on at the same time as uh, Barossa Kostiuk, which had these sort of dynamic, interesting rallies where they were really moving each other about the court. This was completely different. You know, it was much flatter hitting over the net. It wasn't. It just wasn't quite to my same taste, I suppose. But nonetheless, it was. It was a. It was a good, good result for Craig Chikova, who who has now reached, I believe. Um, the, at least the fourth round of every slam since since the French Open. That that's a really impressive backing up of a breakthrough, you know, first slam title. I I, I think, I, you know, I probably am guilty of doubting Craig Chikova a, a bit. You know, but repeatedly she shows that there is no reason to do that. She goes deep in events. She often loses to the eventual champion. She is. She is right there at the top of the WTA now and she's backing it up week after week with with great results. So Krachikova Azarenka, we're also getting in round number four, a repeat of one of the most epic matches of the last year between Maria Sakkari and Jessica Pegula. Uh, you may or may not remember it. Sakkari saved six match points to win. It was played on one of the one of the outside courts. It really was every bit as, as good as that suggests. Um, that was because, uh, well, they both won today. Sakkari cruised past Veronica Kudamatova. Since that sort of first round performance where she looked tense and stressed, Sakkari, she's looked just a dream ever since then. Um, and there was a real mic drop moment in her on-court interview afterwards where she'd been all loveliness, just talking about how much she loves being in Melbourne, feels like a home slam to because of all the crowd support she gets, the massive Greek community. And then the final question is, you know, pretty generic. How do you feel about your form? Um, how far do you feel like you can go? And she just looks him dead in the eye and goes all the way. Love it. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think I shouted at the TV. Oh my God, I love that. Um, <laughs> Can confirm, yes. Yeah, it was brilliant. Good on you, Maria Sakkari. Uh, and good on the draw for giving us a repeat of uh, Sakkari Pagula. Um, other results in the men's draw. Well, David, you were watching uh, a lot of Nadal Hatchinov for us while we were glorying in the end of uh, Osaka Anisimova. A set dropped, but I get the impression still still all positives for Rafael Nadal. Yeah, he was excellent and he looked physically well. He was racing around the place, hammering the ball. And I've just found his his own assessment of his performance fascinating at the end of it because he won the first two sets, 6-3, 6-2. Then he lost the third and, and he lost it when he was serving at 40 love on his own serve one two down he ended up losing his serve at that point and that was a real surprise lost five points in a row and his assessment of it afterwards is that he found himself too far back in the court if you think of where you often see Nadal playing on particularly on a clay court it's part of his makeup is to be way 
back behind the baseline and taking these huge cuts of the ball, looping it and all the rest of it. Well, he he gave a real insight as to how that isn't the tactic here. That isn't going to work. He said, I needed to get, get closer to the baseline. I realized I was getting pushed too far back. And when I went closer to the baseline, I felt alive, he said. And that came true because Hachinov started to play really well in that third set. And then at the moment he's got the third set, Nadal's three love up in the fourth with within a blink of an eye. Um, and he was he was emotional afterwards, Nadal. He he made it very clear that this foot injury is not like all of his other injuries. He said it was really hard not having a time deadline on it on it or a limit or a, this is when you'll be back. You know, I couldn't be told by a doctor if I do this rehab, you'll be back at this time frame. His career was in the balance over this. That was very clear. And he said he had doubts every single day. He told Eurosport, I have doubts every single day during the off period as to whether I would make it back. Um, And I think he feels like he's playing with the house's money a bit now. The fact that he's got back, the fact that he's able to do this. I mean, you wouldn't wouldn't know he's had this injury to look at him. Nearly 36 years old now. um, And... You know, he could have been in the same position we we look at Federer in, i.e. unlikely to play again. And yet he kind of looks like a contender for the title right now to me. An extra good news for him is that in the fourth round, he'll be playing somebody that had has gone uh, 17 hours in their previous round because Adrian Manorino and Aslan Karatsev, they're still going. They've just brought up a graphic that Aslan Karatsev has hit 80 unforced errors. Didn't he hit 107 in the first yeah. round? He's they're, they're, going for a tournament record. If this goes five, he might have two matches of over 100 unforced errors. That would he be looks epic. like a reanimated corpse at the I moment. Mean, the, the, if he wins this match... He's just had massage on his legs in the sit-down. I mean, I think he's, he's into his 14th hour on court in three matches. And... <laughs> You know, he's he's played... Not uh, even those calves can carry that. Four hours and 52 in his first round against Jaume Munar. In this third one, it's four hours and 21 minutes, and they're only in the fourth set. Um, I mean, Manorino looks as fresh as anything. He, he he broke serve a few minutes ago, and he just r- ran back to his chair, almost in Karatsev's face. Um, he's sort of ev- everyone's pest, isn't he, Adrian Manorino? <laughs> he just won't go away. He's like a... Mosquito, Karatsev's just, oh, he makes me laugh, Karatsev, but he's he's not having fun. He looks like he wants there. to go it's to not bed. not fun at all. Yeah. He looks like he wants to do a mat and just say, shall we call it a draw? <laughs> both go <laughs> through? Both play the next round, yeah. Um, well, they might need to be together to take on Nadal by the sound of things. Yeah, yeah. Ain't, ain't that the true? Um what else in the men's draw today? Alexander Zverev was routine against Radu Albot. He now faces Denis Shapovalov in the fourth round. He beat Riley Apelka today in fourth sets. Actually, I, I didn't see a whole lot of it, but um, probably the most routine of his three matches so far, Denis Shapovalov. Um, they've got an interesting head-to-head, Shapovalov and Zverev. They've played at the last two ATP Cups, so... That's best of three sets, but they're useful data points for the head-to-head, and they won a piece in those matches. Um, they met a couple of weeks ago at the ATP Cup, and it was Zverev was the winner, but it was I think seven-six in the third, incredibly, incredibly close. So that that promises a lot. That's a test for them both, 
I think, in terms of where they're at. Um, we've also, David, got Gail Monfils in the fourth round. The good news story continues. We can all keep believing a little while longer. Uh, I think he was the first man into the fourth round, actually. He went in straight sets today, didn't he? Who did he beat? He beat Christian Garin. Oh, yes. Who Garin was getting involved in aggro out there. I didn't know Garin was an aggro guy, um, but he managed to find some uh, on the Kier Arena today. But anyway, Monfils, a winner in three sets. Uh, there was a anxious moment where I think he was a he was a breakup in the first set, Monfils, and he went over on his mm. ankle or foot, and everyone was panicking because this isn't supposed to happen. This is supposed to be different this time for Monfils. Let's, let's not let an injury get in the way of all things. But I think he, he did lose his break in that first set, but eventually won it in the tie break. And then the second and third sets, although I think he was tired by the end of it, were, were more straightforward for him. And, and he made it through and he still hasn't lost the set. He was, uh, he was a joy in post-match press in the uh, in the French portion of the press conference the L'Equipe journalist Frank Lamella asked him about that injury um, and even he couldn't find the right French word for the for the body part um, <laughs> that that he felt that he had hurt so he had to do some pointing because he but he basically said he thinks it's going to be fine he described his muscles as crispé would you like to provide a translation of, of that? Well, uh, you gave a great one earlier, but I can't remember what it was. Did I? Mm. We didn't practice this earlier, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did. We probably should have practiced it earlier, shouldn't we? It's not dynamic radio. Anyway, he said that by the end, it was straight sets, but it was in the heat of the day. He said, even for me at the end, it was a bit hot. He was glad that that got done in three sets, put it that way. Um, and I also um, had a bit of a, a Gems Life chat with him in that press conference. And uh, that's me doing a little tease for the newsletter. Oh. Um, yeah, that exchange will be uh, top-notch newsletter content for subscribers. And it's free to subscribe, so why wouldn't you? Uh, Matt's just on Google Translate trying to do crispé for us. No, what word you got? reference. It's sort of... Up, I love word reference. Upmarket Google that, that Translate. That earned me a degree. Did it, yeah. We did word reference. Tight, I think, would be, yeah. would be a good translation. Yeah, there we go. So, the Morfis dream remains alive. He plays a Serbian in the, in the fourth round. It's Misha Ketsmanovic. Um, and I said to him, you know, you've lost to Djokovic so many times damn times in big matches it does it feel different him not being the, in the draw and he he wasn't being drawn on that he sort of said wearily oh, I've, I've lost to everyone in big matches <laughs> you know <laughs> um does you know no individual makes any any particular difference but uh it's a massive opportunity for Gaelman Feast massive um so that I think other than the match that is going to go on until tomorrow's podcast records <laughs> because it's 4-3 juice in the fourth set and they've been playing for four hours and 28 minutes of Manorino and Karatsev. Other than that match, I think that's it for your day five Australian Open. It has been a day. We've loved it. It's been brilliant. 
Um, we can't wait for day six. What is on the schedule for day six? Um, there are there are a few sort of obvious picks. I think there's uh, Dan Evans and Felix Auger-Aliassime that have been scheduled for not before five pm out on out on the John Kane Arena, which I've persuaded Matt to to actually go to tomorrow, David. He's prepared to journey to the John Kane Arena. Wow. Do you know, the John Kane Arena is no longer as far away. I don't know how they've done it, David, but the renovations they've made to the ground have brought the John Kane Arena closer, I'm convinced, because we sort of went to it on the way out today. and We had to get a taxi home because... I only had one shoe by the end of the end of the day. It was that kind of day. I, you I just broke had one bare foot. Yeah, you, you flip flops broke. Um, you, you managed just, to break them sitting down. Mm, watching a tennis match. Just on the John Kane Arena, for those of us that have never been, what what's it like? It's a funny one because it does get great atmospheres. But it doesn't it, feel like it should. Y- yeah, it is... Um, the, the the crowds are further from the court, it feels, than on any other arena because it's not a strictly tennis stadium. It's it's a multi-purpose stadium that's used for concerts, I think, largely obviously in pre-COVID times. I think during the Commonwealth Games, it was the swimming venue, uh, the John Kane Arena, although it wasn't named after whoever John Kane is at the time. Um, I always feel like John Kane is the um, uh, the um, alter ego. No, the alter ego name for a superhero. Right. Yes. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, isn't he a? I think he's a politician. Former Victoria. I think he's a local politician. Anyway, yeah. Um, The Daniel Andrews Arena. It's. One day, <laughs> one day. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look promising for great atmos. Definitely not. But then, but it's whether by design or just sort of. I don't know. They've it's it's developed this reputation as the place to go for the for the hurly burly atmos, and that's I think that's kind of become self fulfilling. That the people that want you know those kind of vibes go there and and are attracted there um which is which is great because i think it could otherwise be um a bit hollow and and soulless because there is that physical distance between between the crowd and the players but players seem to or a certain type of player really enjoys playing there it's your it's your offbeat it's your it's hipster it's where the hipsters want to play the ground pass people turn up and yeah. It's, it's all in. Yeah. No, and and goes. Matt's going to be there tomorrow, so extra hipster vibes. Well, why are you uh, going to be there? Taos- What's happening? T- Dan Evans. Well, he's discovered stated. it's not as far away. And it's as- not as far away as it once was. Okay. Somehow. Uh, Towson Collins on Rod Laver Arena. Kanepi against uh, the Aussie World Cup, Maddie Inglis. Uh, then Benoit Pair against Stefano Sitsipas. The night session is Pablo Andujar against Alex Dominor and then Saranika Steyer against Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Second court, Zidanecek against Korne, uh, Vondrosheva Sabalenka. Uh, the bookies have 
Vondrosheva is the favourite in that against the number two seed. Uh, then van der Zandt-Hulp against Daniil Medvedev. Night session is Svantec, Kazakina and Rublev Medvedev. Uh, Halep's out on John Kane as well as Evans and Auger Aliassime. And David, uh, I'm going to whiz down to court number three because not before 4pm is where and when you will find Maxime Cressy against Chris O'Connell. What time have I got to set my alarm? I discovered what Chris O'Connell looked like this afternoon and it was not what I was expecting. <laughs> um, what were you expecting and what did you find? I was expecting, I had a generic Australian man in my mind. It was a sort of amalgam of, of Sam Groth and Jordan Thompson. Right. And Alex Bolt and Alex threw Bolt in as well. And Alex Bolt I threw in as well. But he's quite Mediterranean looking. Okay. Mm. Uh, that's 5am UK time. Oh, I'm allowed You're not to allowed to set an alarm for it, David. Oh. But I rather suspect you'll be up anyway. So anyway, that's what you've got to look forward to on day six. We hope the momentum continues because somehow great matches are infectious at Grand Slam tournaments. So hopefully it all carries on and there's great stuff tomorrow. Um, we've got shout outs. I'll get to those in a minute. I want to do a very quick hello to Cedric. Yes. Uh, lovely listener, um, working for Tennis Australia, came to say hello to us. It, he said hello to us uh, at the start of the tournament, saw us in the cor- corridor, and today he visited us and brought us gifts. And uh, we're very we're very grateful, Cedric. We're very touched. It would have been really useful if there were some shoes in the gift bag. <laughs> um, but uh, you weren't to know. Yes, thank you, Cedric. Um, Thank you, Cedric. Uh, We have our mascots. Well, we have one big mascot for the tournament. We've got Charlie. Uh, We're seeking more Charlie content, folks, because Charlie Charlie the Beagle's a big hit. So uh, I certainly want more of Charlie. Uh, Billy Jean has got Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss, dream team. Uh, David's got Darwin. I've got Carter. Matt's got Gerald the Cat. We have Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner, our top blokes and executive producers. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Rachel Madders from Eastbourne. Oh. Oh, I love Eastbourne. I've had many a nice time in Eastbourne covering that tournament and Davis Cup many years ago. Oh, some lovely little Yeah, I've only covered Eastbourne there. once, but it was, I remember that week so fondly. It was, it was an unexpected Eastbourne heat wave, and it was it was delightful. Well, thank, thank you, you so Rachel. Much. Thank very you, much. We have Judy Singleton from Rocky Hill, New Jersey. Oh, and go. Matt's wearing a Springsteen T-shirt. Is it Ashby Park? It is. Greetings from Ashby yeah. Park. There we go. It's all. It's all. It's all coming up, Judy. Thanks, Judy. Thank you. And. Finally, we have Josephine Maibom, uh, originally from Denmark, has lived in Switzerland for 10 years and provides us with the fun fact that she accomplished a dream by becoming a ball girl at Roland Garros in 2011. And she was lucky enough to be on court for two of Andy Murray's matches. And she writes in brackets, my tennis hero. Aww, oh, I love story. that. <laughs> mm. I love that. The name Josephine always makes me think of um, Leonardo DiCaprio singing to Kate Winslet, "Come, come, Josephine, in my flying machine." As well, well, as as he's sort of dying in the water. 
Anyway, thanks thanks very much, Josephine. And uh, that's <laughs> that's a lovely story. <laughs> I don't know. David's thinking, why do I let her present these? Right. <laughs> um, we'll be back tomorrow, folks, for a day six Australian Open tennis podcast. Subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. Get yourself a shout out or an intro or just become a friend of the pod um, because why Why wouldn't you want to be? Oh, my God, it's match point Manorino. This match might actually be about to end, but it would be wrong for it to end while we're recording the pod. We want the match to, to, to last the entire duration of the pod and probably beyond. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.